Hello and welcome to All Indians Matter. I am Ashraf Engineer. Recently, the Supreme Court ordered an independent inquiry into whether the Indian government had used the Pegasus software to illegally spy on political opponents, social activists and media personalities. It formed an independent committee to ascertain whether the government had used the Israeli spyware in response to cases lodged by several journalists and activists. Pegasus can be termed a cyber weapon because it can hack into phones, extract the data and even turn on their microphones and cameras. Earlier this year, an investigation by a consortium of, of 17 news outlets across the world revealed that thousands of numbers had been spied upon using the Pegasus software sold by the Israeli spyware maker NSO Group. NSO said its software was only used by government, so naturally the Indian government had a lot of questions to answer. What exactly is the Pegasus case all about and why is the Supreme Court order important? All Indians matter. We are on the show Sapni GK, a research analyst with the high-tech geopolitics program at the Takshashila Institution in Bengaluru. She's a lawyer researching the intersection of technology, society and law with an interest in regulation. She's also the co-founder of Robos of Tech Law and Policy, a publishing space for commentary on the intersection of technology, law, policy and society, positively biased towards persons identifying as women, non-binary or transgender individuals. Welcome to the show, Sapni. Thank you, Ashraf. It's great to be here. Sapi, could you explain in layman's terms what the Pegasus revelations are and why should listeners care? Essentially, as you said, Pegasus revelations are part of an investigation by an international media house consortium. It's an international effort by multiple media houses spread across the globe. It's led by the group called Freedom Stories with the support of the likes of Amnesty International and the Canadian Citizen Lab to report on the use of the spyware Pegasus, which, as you said, is developed and sold by the NSO Group based in Israel. The NSO Group calls itself a cyber intelligence company, which allows and furthers the interest of global security. And the group says in its human rights policy, the company has a very clear human rights policy which in which it says that the software is sold only to governments and not to private individuals. The revelations concern countries far and wide and added to the use of the spyware. So it ranges from Mexico to Rwanda to India to Azerbaijan and across the globe. A lot of instances that these investigations have found out. And it was mostly a follow-up investigation on the basis of the 2019 findings by the Citizen Lab, which I mentioned earlier, which alerted the world of the vulnerabilities in WhatsApp that could lead to malware being injected into devices that could remotely take over and surveil the entire device. So this is basically what uh, the Pegasus software is. And because most of us now have our phones as an extended part of ourselves, right? So if there is something like this on my phone, it is equivalent to having a stalker 24-7 by me, reporting each and every move of mine. So, and further with software like this, it can even be used to add material into device, which, are, which is what experts suggest, experts from the Citizen Lab, which is an interdisciplinary laboratory based in the University of Toronto. They say that it can even add material into the device in a sense, meaning that it can trap me into things and plant evidence which might not even be related or I have not even thought of. So it must concern us. Yeah. 
it's quite scary especially the last bit about uh, planting evidence not that the other bit about uh, uh, somebody being able to stalk you 24/7 isn't uh, sapit could you explain how the pegasus spyware works and what is it used for generally as the name suggests it's a spyware so it is used for spying so it is basically pegasus can be injected into a mobile device mostly a smartphone device through multiple vulnerabilities uh, many a time these are zero click vulnerabilities zero click vulnerabilities are essentially that those which can be remotely accessed without any action taken by the target so if i am the target i might not have to do anything on my phone anything need not be actively done by me to have this particular spyware installed the installer just looks for and exploits any vulnerability on the target's phone and creates a special data so for example it could be a hidden part of data hidden under text messages or the whatsapp case in whatsapp messages that is used to transmit the software so it's it's encoded into that data and once the process is completed the data or message self destructs essentially leaving no trace of the software's existence so it completely hacks the device and continuously it goes on to surveil the target device so it not just as i said it could not just maybe not just extracts but also maybe can inject content and data into the device and it's it's used to spy or it could it could be if according to the human rights policy as i said you could not buy it to spy on me but governments can use to spy you, you buy it to spy and and it's essentially the claim that nso makes is that that's for for anti terror activities and the likes right something when the court asked the government refused to divulge details on the grounds of national security legally speaking is this a valid argument and what was the court's response to that argument national security is a very valid argument i think i, I don't think there are two ways about it there can be matters of utmost importance at stake in certain cases you know like state secrets etc but it cannot be used as a shield to avoid any and every sort of inquiry into activities of the state the state being such a huge machinery something that an individual might not be able to tackle with the sort of resources that an individual has and the government of india of course did not accept or reject or make any clear arguments in the court regarding the use or non use of pegasus by it whether it bought or did not buy pegasus and in fact the government of india the solicitor general in fact submitted that they would they have given uh, they submitted a limited affidavit where it is not usually what in part in as procedure of court what we do is we do not we have to rebut and put in all our points across in written format to the court here the solicitor general himself they've submitted a limited affidavit which clearly gives the government it says that the government has not put across all its points and i think on the question of national security the court really clearly laid out the court, court made quite a powerful statement when it said that national security cannot be the quote and quote bugbearer that the judiciary shies away from just by virtue of its mentioning so it is a valid argument but it is not a blanket argument to escape any sort of scrutiny from the judiciary and that's a very 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 important point so these revelations come at a time when social turmoil in india is very high 
And there are a variety of triggers from the citizenship law to growing atrocities against minorities to new, to new agriculture laws that have led to mass protests. Now, in this context, what do the revelations say about the state of freedom in India? I think I wrote it back to the particular case at hand. That I would say this incident, you know, if, if proven to be true, if the committee comes across uh, about with a clear report stating on either sides, it would be a great challenge to the right of right to privacy. So even if it says that the government bought it and used it, or even if it says the government did not buy it and use it, there are huge questions that pose it as threats to the fundamental right to privacy, which, of course, the Supreme Court identified in the 2017 Putaswami judgment. And activity like this can also greatly extend to other realms of our life, right? So create some sort of chilling effect. And obviously, the court has identified that, you know, very clearly identified that it can create such chilling effect and, and that could lead to further censorship, self-censorship. And those are not fertile grounds for a viable, thriving democracy. Absolutely. And could you detail the implications on personal privacy? I know you've touched upon that also already. Uh, as well as the impact on the pillars of democracy, like the media, because I'm asking because journalists too, were targeted through the spyware. An alleged intrusion of this level is essentially a cause of great damage to privacy and cause of very valid concern to privacy. And this is not just, a, like when we look at personal privacy itself, it's not just that it's one realm of privacy. It can be informational privacy. It can be bodily privacy. There are people who use app-based connected devices that help them see better, hear better, access generally life better and of course biometrics like most of our phones we have uh, our fingerprints or we have photographs we have there are facial recognition that works even on unlocking our phones etc the implications are massive all that those are treasure troves of data if, if that's gone and if it's in the wrong hands it's it is trouble not just for us probably it's, it's trouble for large number of people even yet to come to existence. And on pillars of democracy, I'd say particularly the media, the court identifies how this, this problem, as I mentioned, of, of shilling effect on speech that can be caused by uh, censorship. And again, as I mentioned, on self-censorship, how it is very harmful for a democracy and the existence of a healthy polity. And I, I again, I think I'll come back to the point of uh, treasure troves of data that uh, such an intrusion can give, you know, that, and that could be left vulnerable for access by malicious interests. So the national security threat that this brings in, so nobody knows what happens once. I mean, there is very little information that's out in public domain on what happens once the spyware is in inserted into a phone, what happens to all the data that it uncovers, all the data that it takes, where is that data stored? Does it go back to Israel? Who, if somebody is monitoring it, who is mon monitoring it? Does it stay in the same place? So for example, if it is you that has you as an entity, as a state, you have bought it to spy on me. Does it stay with you? Do you have a local server where all this data is kept? Do you, are you the person surveilling it? I have, I have no forms of accountability, neither from NSO, nor from the person who has bought it. I mean, obviously there, there is a conflict of interest for having transparency, but 
this is a great source of concern, right? You know, given the government hasn't clarified if they have used it or not. There can be hundreds of other malicious interests doing such in- intrusion into the lives of our journalists, our political leaders, our court staff. And this is something that must be addressed with urgency. And then it's this particular point of vulnerability, I think that causes us, that should cause us great concern. And particularly if national security is the threat that the government is trying to avoid by the use of is that's the position that the government is taking, then what happens to all this data? If that goes into the wrong hands, that is again a bigger national security threat, or at least not bigger as much as an urgent threat to national security. Absolutely. And But what does the law say about this sort of surveillance? Again, surveillance is not illegal in India. It has to be within the limits laid down by their specific laws. Of course, the constitution and previous judicial pronouncements, as I said, the likes of the Putaswami judgment. So there is Section 69 of the IT Act, which allows interception by state and union governments. Then there is Section 5.2 of the Telegraph Act, which still applies in our context and also allows targeted interception, but in public interest or in emergency situations. Then there is also the right to privacy in the judgment, we have a fourfold, more or less a fourfold test where there has to be a law which has to allow for such an action of any sort of intrusion into privacy. There must be a legitimate aim for doing such intrusion into privacy. There must be proportionality in the action by government if it is doing such intrusion. And all of this must be subject to procedural uh, guarantees. I think I would here also like to bring up the fact that the absence of a personal data protection law in India, that hurts us a lot at large and something like this. It's just shown as, it's a glaring example of what we are losing as as a democracy in the the absence of a personal data protection law. And that is something as as people, as citizens, we, we must be looking forward to and having, we, we need it at this point in time of our digitized lives. Right. Uh, so, what is the ambit of the independent committee set up by the Supreme Court? So, essentially, they are to look into the matter from a technical standpoint as well as a procedural standpoint. So, this technical standpoint, so there are, uh, as you would have heard, there are there is a technical committee and the investigation is um, in the inquiry into the, into the issue is headed by a uh, a judiciary, an ex-retired judge. So there is judicial oversight and the committee will look into both the technical aspects of it, whether this is possible and how and where such vulnerabilities exist and all the technical aspects of the like. And further on procedural standpoint, if, if this was allowed and if this was done by the government or whichever other entity, how this has come into being. So then the the government ideally will have to cooperate with them. And I hope uh, and I believe they will do that. And within the constraints of state secrets and the like, whether it has used or whether it has approved of the use of the spyware. And after conducting such inquiries, the court has given them an eight week. The matter is to be heard within eight weeks. So I think within by sometime the end of December. 
open or maybe after Christmas sometime the early next year, we will get to have a look at what this committee is coming up with and in their report. But they will contact the alleged victims, international experts and the government and, and present a complete picture into what has happened around NSO's, the alleged use of uh, Pegasus. I mean, the government's alleged use of NSO's Pegasus. Yeah, and while we await that, actually there's news that's come in recently that the US has sanctioned the NSO group, which makes the Pegasus spyware, and is limiting the exports of its software. Has India taken any such step? To the best of my knowledge, it has not. India has not taken any such step. Uh, Israel itself, after, as you said, the US sanction, Israel itself has distanced, uh, the government, Israeli government has distanced itself from the company. WhatsApp, in fact, had filed a case against NSO in the US based on the 2019 revelations where the NSO tried to use sovereign immunity, essentially stating that these are not, it's not us doing it, these are sovereign countries and we are just facilitating it for the sake of their protection, national security, etc. But I think recently, two days or a day before we record this episode, that is when the US court did not accept this position taken by NSO. And they have said that NSO is a private entity and there can be nothing sovereign related to what NSO is doing. It's the old argument, uh, even that the gun lobby uses, isn't it? That we only make the guns, we don't pull the trigger. So why target us? Yeah, and, and it didn't for the best or not for the best. That didn't work in the <laughs> exactly. US in the case of NSO. Yeah. There's always a debate, something isn't there, between the right to privacy and the need to fight crime and terrorism. So where and how can governments draw the line? I think uh, that's, a, that's a very difficult question to answer. And if, if we had a very clear answer to that, we might not be having this conversation. I, I, I do think that our lives are extremely digitized. So we cannot distance ourselves from the fact that surveillance will happen. So that is government surveillance as well as corporate surveillance. So as they call it, surveillance capitalism that happens. So that is that is happening. But what we can, and, and tacit surveillance but nev- is never the answer, right? Even after, right from the Snowden revelations and before, even let's go back into the Watergate scandal. Wherever we look, we, we understand that tacit surveillance probably doesn't cut it even for national security. But that being the case, I think there is a very, very famous quote that is uh, attributed to Benjamin Franklin. You know, it says that those who would give up essential liberty to purchase a little temporary safety deserve neither liberty nor safety. That That is an argument which comes, I think, from a point where we did not imagine mobile phones that are extensions of our arms. And data protection, privacy, and Having strong procedural institu- having strong institutions and strong procedures in place, that is where the answer is that by and a lot of trust, trust in being trustworthy in your interactions as a government, in your interactions with your citizens, and vice versa, if you're a company as well, your interactions with the users, all of this contributes a lot into not buying into this complete, uh, you know, 
not characterizing this as just a two-sided question and doing that i mean drawing that line whether it for be a, be for a government or whether it be for individuals who start a startup which which has data related aspects to it that 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 is a very very difficult very difficult question to answer and and there is a lot of research there's a lot of work going on in that in that space and you also understand that crime and terrorism is is also is also a concern for us even as individuals and even at our individual levels these are questions that we answer as we think about as individuals and we have to answer as a polity so in that case that the debate I, i don't think it's going to come to a close anytime soon but both sides both stakeholders me the two problem entities we have here that is people malicious users who use it for crime and terrorism and the possible malicious use by governments in both these scenarios technology is only making them more adapted to what they want to do so the answer to to my perspective in my perspective the answer lies in better institutions better protections better safeguards good laws better implementation and we need to continuously and it's not a, it, there is never a full stop to this this is a process and it it has to keep on going on you know given what you said in that context i want to quote justice uh, chief justice envy ramana uh, who said that we live in the era of information revolution where the entire lives of individuals are stored in the cloud or in a digital dossier we must recognize that while technology is a useful tool for improving the lives of people at the same time it can also be used to breach that sacred private space of an individual what exactly is the chief justice telling us the cj i think here very clearly points out the the, the whole conversation we are we are having uh, having right now right how i was also talking about how the, this is in this how technology right now has become an extension of our very very being technologies like smartphones are the very extension more or less of our being it's it's very difficult for us to function without that and it's a a quite a, a quite a good replication of what we go through in our daily lives so that essentially brings us to the point where he talks about our individual lives being stored in a cloud or a cloud or it being a digital dossier and here the use of the possibility of intrusion into this space by the likes of spyware such as pegasus or and and there are a bunch of others and this is not certainly not the first one and while i hope this is the last this is not going to be the last and this if and there are a lot of uh, there is a lot of international pressure into banning the use and availability and sometimes even development of such technologies and there he rightly identifies that you know the the dual edged the double sword the dual sword nature of technology those very this very in a hypothetical situation this very technology can maybe help us break into and you know help our intelligence agencies probably break into a plan which can have disastrous effects on the country but the same the same technology can intrude into if i am a target into my life and if i am a person i am obviously a woman and i have higher stakes that way my my personal life has higher stake definitely a higher stake 
and there are people of uh, you know minority religions there are people of minority sexual orientations minority genders people who face generally who find higher levels of impediments to their expression higher levels of in- impediments to their happy and prosperous life i would say if i could call it that for people like that it really pulls a hard break on living their life in their own terms to the best of the possibilities that i think is what the chief justice is going trying to uh, bring out here and, and that i think is is a fundamental problem with technology and we will have to learn to grapple with that and for that we need more informed policy makers we need more informed public and we need more thought going into how this develops and that also brings me to the point that we need more ethics and sensibility studies going into the people who make such technologies the technologists also are a big stakeholders in in this question so sabhi what can listeners do to ensure against spyware on their devices is there anything they can do um, something like pegasus <laughs> i am not sure as i said something zero click if i don't have to do anything and then and, and then there there is but generally get digital hygiene so good passwords strong passwords don't keep your name as your password if i am sapni my password should never be sapni123 my if i should again do not use uh, or do not subscribe to things that you're not necessarily looking for so that might be newsletters be cautious about your general exploration of the web the, the web essentially is built on exploration but there is a caution an element of caution should come from us as users and something interesting is about rebooting phones uh, your especially phones we hardly maybe you know completely drain out the batteries and reboot it completely that is something users could do at least once a month to have such exploits or have a to be possibly safer from such exploits and of course keep your phones and your devices updated do not leave those app store updates for the rest of your life do not keep pushing it there are vulnerabilities which there are patches which keep on coming so do that be cautious about your use and yeah that is generally what we do for normal spyware or normal malware that comes but something like a pegasus i i don't think i have an answer and it, it might be very difficult to find an answer yeah but i think the hygiene pieces that you just spoke about are very very important and i urge all listeners to follow that advice sabhi tell us about the work you do at the takshashila foundation um, at the takshashila foundation i work with the high tech geopolitics team where we essentially look at multiple facets of technology ranging from space to semi- semiconductors to digital platforms etc we look at it from a point of national interest of india's interest from a perspective of development from a perspective of society and i also obviously my interest and in, with my training as a lawyer i'm very interested in regulations so we look at regulation of platforms and all of these regulations and standards and how we as indians could benefit better from technology whether it be through use facilitating better use facilitating better environments and 
at, la- at the larger level, Takshila Institute, Takshila also looks at how we can look at strategic studies, we can look at health sciences. Yeah, we do quite a bit of work and on the premises of freedom, on the premises of our values of pluralism, realism, and uh, yeah, that's that's what we do at Takshila Institution. We do some interesting work. <laughs> I hope. Sure. I'm sure you do. It sounds very interesting. But uh, somebody has a question I ask all my guests at the end of the conversation. Why do you do this work? Well, uh, that, that is again a tough question to answer. <laughs> uh, but one, I would definitely say this is something that interests me a lot. As somebody who has lived my law school life, uh, starting from the point of the Puttaswami judgment, that I think was my was the pivotal moment where I got very interested in privacy, data protection, technology, and that's what pivoted me into this. And right from there, I, as you mentioned while introducing me, I have a space, a publishing space, where we, again, look on, called Robots of Tech Law and Policy, where we look at the interaction of technology from the perspectives of gender, from the perspective of policy and regulation and how it impacts society. And th- those are really matters that at this point, there is some sort of a cleavage there between what the larger public un- understands. And this remains limited to fewer number of people. And I think that's very similar to our interests at Takshishila as well, where we want to elevate the understanding about things that really drive our lives of today. And yes, and the digital is is an unavoidable part of it. And it's a very dynamic, very interesting space. So that is that is why I do this. And it's it's my it has happened to be now I realize my interest area, my core area of interest. Yes. Sabni, we are living in a time when virtually every freedom and pillar of our democracy is being tested. The Pegasus case and the eventual findings of the independent committee have the potential to determine how free we continue to remain. So thank you for coming on the show and thank you for helping us understand this very critical case. Thank you, Ashraf. Thank you for having me. And I think uh, to all the listeners, I would again, as you mentioned, I would urge on the front that this causes quite a lot of concern. So digital hygiene is something everybody should look at and be aware of and you can follow our work at Takshila Institution. We are quite active on social media and that's the same with my initiative RTLP. We're also quite uh, active on social media. We're up on Instagram, Twitter and we do explainers and that's something we are interested in that we want to spread the awareness, the knowledge. So listeners who are interested can definitely check us out on social media. My work at Takshila Foundation as well as my work my work at Takshila Institution as well as my work at uh, RDRP. Thank you all for listening. Please visit allindiansmatter.in that's A-L-L-I-N-D-I-A-N-S-M-A-T-E-R.in for more columns and audio podcasts. You can follow me on Twitter at Ashraf Engineer that's A-S-H-R-A-F-E-N-G-I-N-W-E-R and All Indians Count that's A-L-L-I-N-D-I-A-N-S-C-O-U-N-T Search for the All Indians Matter page on Facebook. On Instagram, the handle is All Indians Matter. Email me at editor at allindiansmatter.in. Catch you again soon. <laughs>